everybody. Welcome back to the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. My name is David Vignola. Thank you so much for joining me for episode number 16. This week, we're going to talk about the top six mixing mistakes that I see from my students over the last five or six years of listening to mixes over and over again. I see the same kind of patterns. In episode 15, we talked about three of those six mistakes. We're going to talk about the other three in part two in episode 16. So uh, make sure you give us a five-star review if you like this podcast uh, and uh, share it with others. And now sit back and get ready for episode number 16, Top Six Mixing Mistakes, part two, right here on the Home Recording MadeEasy.com podcast. Okay, welcome to episode 16. This is the top six mixing mistakes, part two. Part one was back in episode 15, where we talked about three of the six. Today, we're going to talk about the other three. So if you haven't listened to the first uh, three mistakes, go back and watch or listen, watch, listen to episode uh, number 15, and you can check those out. Those are really, uh, really tips that I'm, uh, that I've kind of shared with you and kind of as mistakes you want to avoid is really a better way to put it. I listen to lots of mixes during the course of a year. I have thousands of students all over the world who buy my training courses. Many of you listening to this are one of those people. And I want to thank you so much for doing that. And um, when they buy my courses or if they're members of MixingMadeEasy.net, they in, I get a chance to listen to a lot of mixes. And I hear the same kinds of things over and over and over again. Um, and I always am trying to point these out in the training courses and point these out as part of our monthly coaching call at MixingMadeEasy.net to try to help people because what you're all trying to do is what we're all trying to do, which is get better at the craft of mixing. So let's talk about... Um, problematic mistake number four. We did one through three last episode. Number four is one thing that I see a lot, and this is not really common or as far as people don't really talk about it, but I see it quite a bit, which is misaligned tracks. Now, this is a no-brainer. Um, when you send, uh, you know, stems or when you're putting things into your DAW to mix, if you're a mixing engineer and you're importing stems, guitar, bass, you know, kick drum, snare drums, et cetera, et cetera, they all need to start at the same place, <laughs> right? I can't tell you how many times I've, uh, I've, I've gotten a mix and like something doesn't sound right. Something is a little off. And then you come to find out that one of the tracks wasn't lined up at zero timestamp, 0.0.00. Um, and so they got something that's slightly off time. Now, it could be something very subtle where you really can't even tell, uh, or it's so slight that the beginner may not really uh, hear it. Uh, so one of the things you want to make sure, especially, too, if you're going to send your tracks to somebody else to mix, which is, you know, you want to make sure that all the tracks line up at the beginning, right? So you want to make sure that everything starts at zero, right? And then it goes to however long the song is. So for example, if a lead vocal does not come in to say 30 seconds into the song, the file, the audio wave file that for that lead vocal in this example should have 30 seconds of silence at the top, okay? 
And the reason for that is if you just trim all of the uh, audio clips to only where you see audio, the audio wave file on your in your DAW, what can happen is you don't get things lined up perfectly at the beginning of the song. It, it's at the timestamp of zero. So again, if you are mixing and importing stuff into your system, make sure that all the tracks are lined up. And if you're exporting and you're sending your tracks to someone to have some work done for you, um, make sure again that all the tracks line up, everything starts at zero or you're going to have some weird, phasey things kind of happen. Now, you, you may think, well, gee, that's a no-brainer. You should be able to hear that very easily if something is way out of whack. That's true. But like something, for example, like uh, if you have, let's say, a drum kit where you have, say, two kick tracks and two snare tracks, they can only be off one or two samples possibly, and you wouldn't hear the difference necessarily unless you really looked at the audio waveforms, and they could sound like everything is fine, but there could be some phasing issues there that's really not bringing out the best qualities of that instrument, in this case, this, this example, the kick drum, because they can just be off slightly. So again, so make sure your tracks are aligned. I know it's not, a, it's not a common thing, but I see it a lot, so I wanted to mention it. The next problem or mistake that I hear in so many mixes is way too much top end, way too much treble. Very bright, very brittle. A lot of times... Um, you know, we talk a lot about the low end and how you get the low end right in the mix. Well, the same issues go in with the high end, um, where there is um, a lot of uh, brittleness, a lot of boosting, a lot of EQ boosting that people do between that 5 to 8K range. So when you do this on all your tracks to try to get things to sound brighter, um, and you do this across an entire mix, the accumulative effect of that is things can get very bright. Things can get very sibilant, like on vocals, especially from that 8, 8K range, 7 to 8, 9K range. Cymbals can get very harsh sounding. Electric guitars, dirty electric guitars, distorted electric guitars can get very brittle sounding. So the common reason for this is because people want to hear more high end, right? Pretty common. So you think, well, why don't I just boost the high end? What I try to teach people, especially when we talk about EQing, um, and if you don't know, um, as you're listening to this broadcast, we just released or re-released a new and improved version of the famous um, course EQ Made Easy for 2020. Brand new course on the website. Check out homerecordingmadeeasy.com, and I'm going to give you a special coupon code at the end of this podcast, so stay tuned so you can pick up the new EQ course. But anyway, you want to boost the top end. You want it to get more bright, more air, more presence. Instead of just boosting the top end on an EQ, before you reach for that EQ and do your boosting, try doing some cutting, particularly in the mid-range. If you're not using low-cut filters on all of your tracks, with the exception of maybe your kick drum, you should be, yes, even on bass guitar, you should be using a low-cut filter to some degree. Um, and all the rest of the tracks, absolutely. Get rid of that real low end, any low end rumble that might be going on, which will create muddiness. That muddiness will um, will give the um, appearance or the perception that there's not as much uh, top end in a mix. Okay, cut something in the mid range will make will it will automatically make the top end sound more open and a little bit more bright. So again. Make sure you're not just boosting. If you're looking at your mix and you're opening up all your tracks and every track has an EQ on it and you're boosting from, say, the 3K, 5K range up to 15, 20K and every single track has a high-end boost on it, that mix is going to probably sound harsh as an accumulative effect. So make sure that you uh, 
that you're careful about that. The other thing that causes you to want to boost too much treble or too much high end is when you're mixing at very high volume levels, and I, I talk about this all the time, another tip, make sure you mix at lower volume levels. L lower volume levels are going to reduce ear fatigue. When, you're, when your ears get fatigued, the first thing your ears do to protect themselves, it's a natural thing, everybody's ears does this, is they start to compress, they start to close to protect the inner ear and the eardrum. When that starts to happen as a natural thing and you don't even realize that it's happening, what ends up happening is your perception of the high end becomes less. You don't hear the highs the way you did when your ears were nice and fresh and they're not fatigued. So therefore, you think you need more high end in your mix. Therefore, you go to your EQ and you start boosting the top end. So when you mix at lower volumes, you're not going to fatigue your ears as much. You're not going to have that kind of... Um, automatic ear compression dynamic, and therefore you're going to hear your high end more accurately. Also making sure that you have proper acoustic treatment in your room is going to help that as well. Now, again, we talk a lot about the low end um, and getting bass trapping right so we can hear the low end more accurately. That's absolutely true. We've talked about that in other podcasts, but also having the right kind of acoustic treatment to tame the higher frequencies and the first reflections is also going to help you have a better judgment of the high end. Okay, so by adding good acoustic treatment into your room, okay, to get a more accurate sounding room is going to help you with EQ decisions. Therefore, your mix is going to translate more. Making sure that you're cutting the low end where appropriate and the mid-range where appropriate so you get more perception of top end um, before you boost your high-end EQ. And then lastly, making sure that you're mixing at reasonable, lowest possible volume levels to, to reduce ear fatigue, which will then, therefore, your ears won't compress and therefore you will have a more accurate sense of what's going on in the top end. So if you do those three things all before you take an EQ and boost the top end, you're going to have a much more pleasing sounding mix that won't sound harsh. And that doesn't mean that you're not supposed to ever boost the top end. Of course you are. We do it all the time. But we use those other things that I said a few seconds ago as the precursor to just boosting the top end. And when we're boosting the top end, and again, this has to make the assumption that the recorded material is recorded well or somewhat well, okay? Poor recordings may kind of... Uh, may kind of disregard what I'm just what I'm about to say to you but if you have a track that's recorded well when you're doing boosting try to use your kind of 3 dB guideline 3 to 5 dB is kind of a guideline where you don't want to be taking a track and boosting it 8 10 12 dB at a certain frequency range if that's going on it's either because you really don't know what you're doing or the tracks may be recorded really poorly um, there are very few times in the mix where I have to boost something 15 dB or 8 dB especially anything over 3k it almost never happens does it happen on occasion? Are there certain ex uh, exceptions to that statement? Yes, there are. But again, take a look at your mix. Open up your latest mix that you're working on or that you recently finished and look at all the EQs across all your different tracks. Do you have these crazy, wild, excessive boosts on the top ends over like say the 2K mark? If you do, you have to analyze, well, why is that? Okay, because that probably means your mix probably sounds on the harsh side. Okay, so too much treble is bad. I know we spent a couple of minutes on that, but too much treble, too much high end is just as bad 
um, as we're having way too much low end and it sounds muddy, okay? So take those tips and, 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 and apply them to your workflow. And then the last uh, problem uh, that I hear for the, or I see with beginner mixers especially, um, and this is a huge one, and, I, and I've talked about this issue um, over the years, but way more, um, I, I'm harping on this point, way more in probably the last year, in the year 2020. I'm really, with my students, really pushing them to do this, because this is going to help solve a lot of problems for you, especially if you're a beginner, although even if you are a seasoned mix engineer, as good old Uncle Dave here, I do this every single mix without fail. Well, what is it? That's what you're asking. Use reference tracks when you're mixing. Not using reference tracks is the death of someone trying to produce a professional sounding mix that's going to compete with commercial material. It is very difficult to, to mix unless you, you, I mean, you can do it. Obviously, there are lots of mix engineers, professional mix engineers that don't use reference tracks, I'm sure, but they've mixed thousands and thousands of songs and they know their room and their speakers and their equipment so well. They just, it's ingrained in their soul on what a song ought to sound like and may not use reference tracks. But for the rest of us that are out there, me included, using reference tracks is one of the first things that you should be practicing with while you're mixing. This is going to do a few different things for you. It's going to allow you to not make the mistake where you have too much top end like we talked about you know, a few minutes ago. It's going to help you know what a commercial recording is supposed to sound like in your studio, on your speaker system, or in your headphones. Okay, so for example, if you're mixing um, a country song, say you're mixing uh, a female country, kind of a pop song, maybe a little on the light rock side, let's say, for example, you in the style of music may be similar to an artist like, let's say, a Taylor Swift. Okay, if I was mixing a song that was kind of Taylor Swift-ish, <laughs> I would be using her latest song with the same kind of tempo and the same kind of style that kind of um, kind of uh, you know reflects the kind of music that I'm mixing, and I would use one of her songs as a reference track. So I know how low end, how much low end should be in my reference track if I want in my mix if I want to compete with her latest single that's on the charts. How loud should the vocal be? compared to hers? How loud should the guitars be? How bright should the mix be? How warm should the mix be? How loud should the snare drum be? How are things panned? Those kinds of things. Using reference tracks, to, for me, is like a roadmap to getting from point A to point B. Point A is the start of the mix. Point B is the destination, the final end of the mix, right? Using a reference track is huge, okay? That is, gonna, that is probably... One of the one of the things, one of the, the most important things to help you be successful as a mixing engineer, as you're learning the craft of mixing, is using reference tracks, understanding what reference tracks sound like in your system, in your environment, so you can kind of tailor your mix to be similar in sonic characteristic. It doesn't mean you have to copy the mix exactly. That's not the goal, although that's a really good exercise for you as you're a beginner to try to copy the mix as closely as you can. You will learn a lot about what your plugins can and can't do, which plugins sound different 
different than others, what tools that you have at your disposal to get closer to that commercial release. And maybe you may also identify some maybe plugins or tools that you don't already have that you want to acquire to help you get to the end game faster. Okay, I see this problem a lot with beginner students. They don't use reference tracks. It's the first thing I ask when someone sends me a mix and it sounds like it's all over the place. The first thing I say is, before I get into what computer you're using, what studio monitors you're using, what plugins are you using, what is this, what is that? The first thing I ask is when, if I'm listening to somebody's mix is, did you use a reference track? And nine out of 10 times, they say no. Unless you're a student of mine over at MixingMadeEasy.net, you know by now we use reference tracks and most of my students there do. But just, you know, other students that purchase courses, courses from Home Recording Made Easy, they send me a mix and it sounds way out of whack. It doesn't even sound close to what a mix ought to sound like. The very first question I ask is, did you use a reference track? Especially if you're new and more, more times than not, people don't, they don't really, they don't know about this technique or they just didn't think of it, or it's not something that's come across their radar yet. So what I'm here to do today for people that are listening to this show is use reference tracks. There are lots of reference track, reference track plugins to help you easily reference your mix um, in your DAW, I've done YouTube videos on that. You can check that out. Go to the YouTube channel and search, you know, for home recording made easy and just search for reference tracks. And you'll see a few videos that I've done giving you some uh, different tools that you can use to make that process really simple. Um, and there's many ways to do it, but I highly recommend that you use reference tracks. Reference tracks is going to help you understand the frequency balances, the panning uh, laws, and all the way that a, a mix ought to be put together. And if you pick the right appropriate reference track for the style of music that you are mixing, you're going to find over time, it's going to be a lot faster for you to get to the end of a mix that sounds really solid because it's, you're going to start to see patterns and you're going to start to see that, hey, when I mix country music, you know what? There's not as much reverb on the snare as I thought, and I'm drowning my reverb, my snare and reverb, for example. And then going forward, you'll make that mental note, and you say, you know what? I'm not going to drown the snare and reverb on every mix because this style of music doesn't require that. It's those kinds of things. Okay? So those are the last three. This is a two-parter. Part one was last week. You could go check that out. But again, misaligned tracks. Make sure your tracks are lined up. Make sure you have everything starting at zero. Make sure you're starting from a good foundation. Also, make sure you're not using too much high-end. You're not boosting. And before you boost, think about cutting the lows and cutting the mids. Be very, very careful when you're boosting. And also make sure you have the proper acoustic treatment. Make sure you're mixing at lower volume so your ears don't get fatigued. And then lastly, use reference tracks every single time you mix. So I hope those three tips and problematic things that I see all the time could help you with your next projects. And now, thank you so much for listening to me rant on for the last 15 or 16 minutes. I really do appreciate that. I want to give you a free gift. Now, before we before we talk about your free gift, if this is your first time listening to one of the podcast episodes, thank you so much for joining the family. I appreciate it. If you would, if you would, uh, wouldn't mind leaving me a nice uh, thumbs up and a good review and share this with others that for to, to people that you may uh, think where this podcast would help. It really does help me. I really appreciate it. Also, I would love for you to send me some of your podcast episode topic ideas. Okay, I've done now 16 of these. I'm going to do about five or six more. And then I'm looking to my audience here to kind of write me an email. Send me an email to info at homerecordingmadeeasy.com. Again, the link will be in the show notes to go out to the website, which you're going to have to do to get your free gift anyway. 
send me an email. Say, hey, Dave, I heard one of your podcasts. Here's a topic that you may want to try to cover. I'd be interested to hear about this. That would be very helpful to me. I can compile those ideas and I can bring you shows that are really helpful to you, my loyal audience. And I do appreciate that. So make sure you subscribe, give me the thumbs up, send me your topic ideas. Now, I want to give you a free gift. I, like I said, I want you to go out to homerecordingmadeeasy.com and right on the homepage, I want to give you a free mixing, a mini mixing training course. Say that three times fast. A mini mixing training course. You're going to get the audio files along with about a 90 minute video on how I mix the song from start to finish. You can mix the song along with me. It's a lot of fun. You're also going to get with that a PDF, my five pro tips to a professional sounding mix that you can use with the mixing mini course. It's probably worth about $49 is typically what I sell my courses for. It's for you absolutely free just for visiting homerecordingmadeeasy.com. Also, make sure you check out the training page at homerecordingmadeeasy.com. And if you find something that you like and you want to pick up one of the other courses, I want to give you a coupon code. The coupon code is PODCAST30. PODCAST30 will take 30% off any training course on my website. So take advantage of that PODCAST30. And then last but certainly not least, if you really dig the craft of mixing, we're talking about mixing tips this episode here, make sure you check out mixingmadeeasy.net. It is the best online education um, that you can get for mixing uh, music. And I think you'll really enjoy it. Again, check mixingmadeeasy.net out today. And until next week, I've been Dave with homerecordingmadeeasy.com and mixingmadeeasy.net. Thank you so much for listening. And I will hear and see and talk to you next week. Take care, everybody.